This year, we're featuring some of our most valuable episodes, bringing back popular and helpful topics for all people with type 1 diabetes, but also for those who are newly diagnosed. Please enjoy this MVP episode. These are some of the health benefits that I've noticed personally from losing weight. Lower blood sugars, a near normal A1C. Uh, my last one was 5.8%. Reduced insulin costs. I have more energy. I'm experiencing less fatigue and less apathy. I have more creative vision. Uh, I have practically no mental fog anymore. I feel better in my skin. My clothes fit better and my self-esteem is higher and I feel more confident, especially in professional settings. And some of the things that I've noticed is um, I feel like I have more energy. I started to notice that I look different, like I'm starting to get more toned in certain areas. There's less, you know, jiggle when I dance or like when I move around. I look healthier. Um, my skin is glowing more. Like you have this like certain health glow when you start to lose weight. Um, I feel stronger. And that's really important to me because if you don't feel strong enough to take on your day, then you need to either fix something or go out and handle something that you don't want to handle. So with that, exercising and losing weight actually makes you want to go outside and do different things and change the way that you're living your lifestyle, which I always thought was awesome. And then you start to enjoy activities that you used to hate. Like for instance, I used to hate running. And then all of a sudden I joined the cross country team and I had so much fun, even though I have lows a lot during um, practices and meets, I took care of it. And then I was doing it doing the running and our exercise and I was loving every minute of it and then when losing weight you find all of these cool activities um, that are overall exciting and fun which in turn makes you meet new and different people like I never would have met half of my friends if I didn't go out and exercise either at the gym or you know color guard or practice or teams or whatever. There's definitely something to be said for finding an exercise buddy. Oh yeah. They push you to your limits and make sure that you're actually going those extra steps to better yourself. So as we've said, losing weight as a type one diabetic is extremely difficult. And as of this recording, I've actually lost about 55 pounds from my highest weight. And that journey has taught me a, a few things that we'll unpack in this episode. First, carbs made me fat. Second, insulin kept me fat. Third, for practically everyone, weight loss happens in the kitchen, not the gym. And fourth, losing weight affects your physicality, emotions, mental health, and your finances. So first, I want to dive into the backstory. I first noticed that I was overweight when I was in the fourth grade. At some point during a math class, I realized that I had a lot of uh, fat around my middle, and that realization has stayed with me ever since. It never really occurred to me that this was a direct result of having type 1 diabetes. So I sort of drifted through elementary, junior high, and part of high school, not really knowing what to do about it, and so I did nothing. Unfortunately, my parents didn't really know how to help, and so anything they did do or say ended up discouraging me even more. I'd hear things like, you need to lose weight, and I'd end up so frustrated because, yeah, I knew that, but nobody ever told me how, not even my doctors. And in the latter half of high school, which for me was Running Start, which is a program where juniors and seniors take college classes instead of or in addition to regular high school classes, 
for those years and into college. I was in PE classes. I swam. I was doing all sorts of exercise. I tried to eat healthy, quote unquote. But all I experienced was this roller coaster of blood sugars and, if anything, weight gain. So for me, since I'm still, you know, in high school and still young and stuff, I haven't really experienced all of what Colleen has. But I, when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, I was really tiny. I weighed about 80 pounds and I was in the third grade. Then I was diagnosed and all of a sudden I felt like I had gained a million pounds and I didn't know why I felt so bad. Until one day I looked in the mirror and saw my figure. I had grown and my parents have told me, you know, you grow in different ways and, you know, puberty hits you differently and all that stuff. But to me, it hadn't really felt like puberty. It felt like something was actually wrong. I looked different from the kids around me and that really kind of freaked me out. And that lasted up until about halfway through middle school when I started to realize that the only difference between me and them was that I was type 1 diabetic. So from there on, I tried my best to eat healthier and exercise more, even though after trial and error, exercising doesn't always mean weight loss. So on to the first thing that I learned, carbs made me fat. I talked about how I grew up with the quote-unquote you need carbs to live spiel in last week's episode. To recap, I was afraid that if I stopped eating carbohydrates, I'd die. And Jesse shared this. In reality, the more carbs I ate, the worse my blood sugars were, and the worse I felt. My diet in high school and college was filled with carb-heavy foods. Most of my lunches were taquitos and Hot Pockets, and my dinners were an entire box of pastoroni or homemade flour tortillas. It was bad. But I'd also obsessively research weight loss, and I spent hours on the internet just scouring websites trying to understand why I couldn't lose weight. I signed up for tracking sites like MyFitnessPal and LoseIt, I still actually use Lose It today, just less frequently. I tried those weird green tea extract pills and even Simlin, which is this injected synthetic amylin, which is the hormone that controls hunger. And I used that to reduce my appetite, but none of it worked. And I kept spiraling down into that pit of despair that nothing would ever work. So after I graduated from college and I was still having problems, my doctor had me get a book by Dr. Mark Hyman called The 10-Day Detox Diet. She had originally kept telling me that the problem was stress, which made sense, but I transitioned from school stress to work stress, and the end result was the same. So this was about in September of 2015. This diet took out pretty much everything that tastes good in life, and I'm not kidding. I say that looking back on those 10 days and only remembering really tasteless food and curling up on the couch to sleep as soon as I got home from work. I was so tired, so apathetic, so fatigued but I lost 10 pounds in those 10 days. Tim, my husband, was worried about me during this time because I just I didn't want to do anything at all after I got home. I'd just go to the couch and fall asleep. And then I'd wake up and go fall back asleep in bed. So I knew I could lose weight, but that diet was so unsustainable and I had no interest in trying to deal with the slow reintroduction of food to find out what I reacted to or not. It was kind of like a less fun Whole30 program, and I told my doc that I was never trying it again. I probably didn't do it right. I probably didn't properly season the things I could eat, and I could have gotten more variety than plain chicken breast or whatever. One thing I do remember is that it had these really complicated smoothie recipes that tasted pretty meh on a scale of yuck to mmm. 
The prep time for the recipes was frustrating because the end result was so bland and just unsatisfying. And there were a lot of recipes that made a ton of food that we just didn't use, and we ended up wasting a lot. Anyway, despite the 10-pound loss, I swung right back up, and I eventually hit my high of 225 pounds on January 9th, 2016. Two days later, I experienced three really extreme blood sugar crashes over the course of eight hours, and the last of those took over 300 carbs to pull me out. And then for me... One of the things that I realized slowly after I started losing weight was that I was eating less. And I noticed that because um, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to have this bloated feeling with me anymore. I didn't want to feel this constant need to impress people with my personality because I didn't look the same as everybody else. So instead of doing something healthy or something doctor recommended... I did my own thing. I started going to the gym. I started running more. I ate only salads and eggs. No carbs whatsoever. And I limited myself on how much I could eat and what I could eat. But I realized soon and shortly after that that wasn't sustainable. That I couldn't keep up my energy and that I couldn't be happy or healthy that way if I continued like that. So I finally quit. And I went back on some carbs and reintroduced some things that made me happy as a kid. You know, like once a week, I'll eat pasta or, you know, something a little more carby. But I still kept up those good habits of not eating as many carbs and limiting how much food I could eat. But then I had a doctor's appointment coming up. And I know I had lost weight because I measured myself about once a week for about three months. Because at my high of 185, I was not happy. So when the doctors told me that I had lost about 20 pounds in three months, it both surprised and shocked me. I knew I was doing something right, but I also knew I was doing something wrong because I didn't feel good. So you didn't, you didn't feel good? Can you expand on that? So I felt fatigued. I felt really tired all the time. I'd start yelling. Uh-huh at my brother, I wouldn't, I would have this certain like brain fog around like my homework that two weeks before was really easy. So I wasn't getting something that I needed, like some, probably some vitamin or nutrients that um, I cut out just flat out. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're probably low on like sodium and magnesium and all of the, the nice micronutrients. Right. And later we put me on magnesium supplements and I felt a lot better and I could still lose weight. Okay. On to the second thing that I learned. Insulin kept me fat. So it didn't really click for me until much later that the driving force behind everything was the insulin. When I carb loaded, I needed a ton of insulin to bring down my blood sugars, inciting that vicious cycle of roller coasters. So you'd go down, then you'd go up, and then because you'd overbolus, you'd go down, and then you'd eat so many carbs and come back up. So between the time of that 10-day detox diet and January 9th, I stumbled across a Reddit sub for keto, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Like many previous times, I just obsessively researched what it was, how it worked, and I read stories from other type 1 diabetics who had experienced success with this. You can hear more about the keto... You can hear more about the keto slash low-carb diet in episode 9 on why the food we eat matters a lot. That night in January, that night on January 11th, 2016, 
I went to bed resolved to eat an entire day of low carb slash keto when I woke up in the morning. And since I used lose it heavily back then, I have a record of what I actually ate. On January 11th, I ate 364 carbs. On January 12th, I ate only 93, but 21 of those were fiber, so my net total was around 72. And 40 of those were from two cans of apple juice because I did experience some lows since I hadn't adjusted my insulin rates yet. But still, at that point, it was like the best day my blood sugars had ever had. And the day after that, I only had 29 net carbs. So I noticed something interesting happening. As I lowered my carb intake, I also lowered my insulin intake. I actually halved my insulin. And when that happened, my weight started coming off almost like magic. It wasn't particularly fast or impressive, but it happened almost without effort, whereas before I'd been exerting so much effort with personal training and exercise with no weight loss results at all. Did you want to jump in here? Oh, I just wanted to add that you taught me everything I know. Aww. So Aww. basically, Colleen and I met at diabetic camp, which I hope you guys know by now because we did mention it in episode one. And if you haven't heard episode one, you should go listen to that. Um, But so we met at diabetic camp. Um, and so I hadn't known a lot about carbs when I first went. But now that I've gone a couple of years, I know a lot more than I did. And I know the difference between good carbs and bad carbs. Like good carbs are like some that are in fruits and vegetables. But mostly I try and stay away from carbs. Anyways, Colleen taught me everything I know. And she's right about everything that she taught me. Like from going low carb to feeling better to like, you know, anything you can imagine. She's right about almost anything. Well, thank you. I should be thanking you. (laughs) So on to the third thing that I noticed. Weight loss happens in the kitchen, not the gym. I also noticed that when I weighed myself every day, I had a better picture of how things were going, even if there was a variance of a pound or more in weight. What? Even if there was a... I also noticed that when I weighed myself every day, I had a better picture of how things were going, even if there was a variance of a pound or two pound or so I also noticed that when I weighed myself every day I had a better picture of how things were going even if there was a variance of a pound or more in water weight I actually looked back through those food logs for those first few months and I remembered that I hadn't figured out how to do keto on ski days and those days were really heavily carb loaded with McDonald's breakfasts and a lot of low snacks I favored Rice Krispie treats back then and now that I think about it White Pass has this really big rice crispy treat that they always have in the lodge and it's honestly amazing but you know i can't have that anymore but nowadays i barely need any low snacks while skiing which is amazing so that first year on low carb got me down to about 200 pounds and i hovered there for a long time and then i started creeping back up when faced with the stress of losing my job and moving in with my in-laws for what would be six months of unemployment Staying low carb during that period was pretty difficult. And then on December 3rd, 2017, which was a few months after I'd gotten my job, I got my head back into the game and I steadily started losing weight again, going from about 210 pounds down to where I am now, which is around 172. So for me, low carb is not difficult or tasteless or depriving. And it's actually kind of funny to me how much people cling to their carb heavy foods because they think they'll be deprived. And they can't seem to wrap their heads around the idea that I feel completely satisfied with what I eat. I really don't have any desire to partake in the donuts and the accounting goodies at work. I mean, I I eat bacon every day at work. And it's also funny how many people 
say things like, you're the one making kitchen smell amazing every day. That, that, that one makes me laugh a lot. I really wish I'd known a long time ago that weight loss happens in the kitchen and not the gym. I lost the bulk of this 55 pounds without, without any exercise at all. In fact, when I did the Couch to 5K program, I stopped losing fat and I stalled my weight loss, and it was really annoying. And despite eating low carb, that exercise intensity stalled me out. And now the last part that I what the and now the last section of things that I realized: losing weight affects a lot more than just your weight. I hope that this can actually serve as encouragement for you as our listeners, in case you're a type one diabetic struggling to lose weight and wondering why you should even bother. So obviously, the most obvious benefit of weight loss is the weight loss itself. It's easier to bend over to put on shoes. It's easier to go on a walk around the park without losing your your breath. It's easier to feel good about the body you're in instead of wishing for a skinnier version. And like I said before, the taste and smell of sugar now put me off. Like those donuts, those fried high-carb foods, cake, pastries, all of that, it all honestly smells a little gross to me now. And if I have a roll or two of Smarties in the middle of the night for a low, my mouth feels and tastes kind of gross when I wake up. So if And if I've had something that's breaded and fried like mozzarella sticks, I, I honestly can't get past the taste of the fried breading. All taste of the thing underneath is just lost to that overpowering taste of carb in my mouth. And when people bring those boxes of donuts into the kitchen, I can smell the sugar as soon as I walk in. It's honestly amazing how sensitive I am now to the taste of carbs. And even if I need a – it's honestly amazing how sensitive I am now to the taste of carbs, even if I need a roll of Smarties to boost my blood sugar. When people, especially diabetics, are overweight, it's a strain on the wallet. So financial. Weight-related health issues cost money, mental health, time, and energy. Diabetics with higher weights use more insulin, and that's one of the most expensive substances in the world. We've all heard about the, you know, the insulin price controversies and stuff, which is honestly atrocious. And since I have been at an obese BMI, I know firsthand how mentally and physically debilitating it was to carry all that extra weight around. I felt terrible. I hated how I looked. I avoided having pictures taken. I dressed in unflattering clothes, and I often went to those into those obsessive spirals looking for ways to lose weight without resorting to diabulimia because I knew, even back then, that I would not sacrifice my blood sugars to reduce my weight. I knew it could kill me, and I already hated the feeling of high blood sugars, so I was unwilling to even try that. I kept, I keep making it sound like switching to low-carb was a magic cure, but it kind of was. So for me, my path forward, I still have weight to lose. I've never actually been at a healthy weight as an adult. I don't know what the number on the scale will say or what my body measurements will be. For my height and my bone structure, it could be around 140 or 150 pounds, which is from here another 20 to 30 pounds to lose. But after losing 55, that feels achievable. And because I already know I can do it, I feel better about what's next. I just hope that my experiences and Jesse's can help other overweight or obese type 1 and even type 2 diabetics start their own weight loss journeys if they've been trying and failing like I did. Any last words for us, Jesse? I would just say don't get frustrated with your body. Your body is a temple and this is losing weight is part of a healing process for your body. You should be feeling good and if you have that extra like water weight one day and the scale goes up one or two pounds that's just your body's way of recovering so you can't feel frustrated with that no matter how discouraged it may seem that's a really good point for me weighing every day actually helps me feel more on track but i know a lot of people get caught up in the number and if that's you then you shouldn't weigh every day you should pick 
one day a week and you weigh, weigh yourself in the morning after you've gone to the bathroom before you shower, eat anything, uh, no clothes because clothes weigh stuff. And that's the most accurate you can get with weight. And if you keep it consistent every week, then the, the trend is more important than the day-to-day variations. Right. And just keep track of it. I mean, you don't see the changes until you write them down and you know what they are. Or if you have your driver's license picture taken like six years later, because that's the biggest difference I've ever seen in my face. That's true. And another thing is that the the number on the scale could also not be a great uh, measurement because it doesn't differentiate between muscle and fat and muscle weighs more than fat. So a more accurate way of tracking progress is to measure yourself at your waist, your hips, your bust, uh, your arms, and your legs. Also, don't always pay attention to the BMI. Just because it says you're obese, there is muscle. So again, it doesn't differentiate between the two. The BMI is trash, just saying. Yeah, don't. I hate the BMI. I hate it. I hate it. All the doctors. My my doctor hates the BMI. All doctors hate the BMI. I know. So why does it even exist anymore? I don't know why we still, it's probably to teach kids about, you know, oh, you should be healthy. This is not the way to be healthy. Our public education system is not teaching us how to be healthy. It's just telling us to eat the foods that they provide us and say that we're being healthy and then give us foods that make us fat. And then all of a sudden we're obese and our country as a whole is obese and we don't have healthy eating habits. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.